This podcast contains toilet humour, rude words, and lots of spoilers. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony on. It's time for Agony on. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony on. Well, Agony on is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that ball. Instead of watching it fall, give Agony on a call. Hello everyone, welcome to Agony Art, the Agony Art podcast in which we try to solve your problems, not by offering actual advice, no sir, but instead by telling you how those problems were solved in the great art of our age. And while we can't guarantee we'll solve any of your problems, at least you'll be left with a fun reading, listening and watching list to enjoy in your free time. My name is Liam, I'm the Meister of Music here at Agony Art. Joining me as always are Aaron, our Lannister of Literature. And Father Carl, our High Septum of Cinema, here with me in our mobile studio in a top secret location somewhere in Westeros. Say hello, sirs. Bonjour. Would you like to break your fast with me, Liam? <laughs> <laughs> um, they're not called fathers, the High Septums, are they? What are they called? Scepter. Scepter. Or do you want me to redo it? Yeah, start, start again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not one of those guys. I'll be. Bron or the Black Wolf. Dan in the dirt, wouldn't you? You, need to, be, dirt, you yeah. need to be something that alliterates with cinema, movies, or film. Um, Before we start today, I'd like to make it crystal clear that we're not really here to solve your life's biggest problems. <gasps> it's fair to say, I think everyone here will agree with me, that we're not really qualified to solve anything. Not even a Sudoku. I struggle with those, to be honest. So if you're seriously struggling, the best we can do is refer you to our website. That's agonyartpodcast.com, which has some details of actual professionals that you can talk to. So let's move on and get on with problem one of the day. I recently met my favourite YouTuber and found him to be a complete arsehole. In his videos, he seems friendly and fun, but when I met him, he was rude. He didn't listen to anyone and he seemed to think he was better than everyone in the room. Now I don't even want to watch his YouTube videos anymore. And I feel like I've lost something because they always used to brighten up my day. Should I pretend I never met him and keep watching as if he's cool again? Or should I find something else to fill my hole? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was fill the hole. <laughs> Please say, was that an accident? <laughs> <laughs> we know what Liam's got on his mind today. Yeah. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> I'm surprised people have favourite YouTubers. I don't even know what YouTube is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because... This reminds me of uh, a YouTuber that I used to watch. I used to really like him. He was part of a group of content creators. And this guy was one of the funniest ones. And all the videos he was in, like, they were always the best. And it was all, they were always really funny. And uh, in 2019, it suddenly came out that he'd been, like, sexually inappropriate with his female colleagues and also with some of the teenage fans. But, yeah, like, obviously he ended up leaving and it just soured the whole thing. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, he's let us all down there, hasn't he? Mm. It's like when the inflatable boy... Took an inflatable, took a pin to an inflatable, inflatable school, <laughs> and the teacher said, "You let yourself down. You let me down. You let the school down." Mm. Yeah, just like that time. <laughs> it's all in the delivery. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't watch YouTubers. Like people are like, oh, I'm going on YouTube. Or, I'm going to watch YouTube. I use it for sporadic. Someone tells me there's a funny video, go and look for it kind mm. of thing. I don't really watch YouTube as a religion. 
said I, don't, I didn't know people had favorite YouTubers, but that was bullshit because <laughs> I have got <laughs> I subscribe to a few channels that I like. And you like um, Jack Black playing games, don't you? you yeah, he I did that during COVID, and then he's just okay. he's That's gone AWOL. All right, let's solve this problem. So I think I think there's a simple rule here, and it's uh, don't meet your heroes, or maybe even there are no heroes. Ooh, getting deep. No more heroes, the Stranglers. Really? Did I get it? Aaron has hit the nail on the head. <laughs> oh, shit, boy. In 1977. <laughs> David Bowie, heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Just for one day. <laughs> heroes, save, save the cheerleaders, save the world. <laughs> Enrique, hero. <laughs> Anacornic over, tennis. <laughs> <laughs> We're just naming people now. <laughs> Yes, 1977, The Stranglers released No More Heroes on the album of the same name. And Aaron, I'm guessing you know this song because you named it. Cole, do you know this song? I feel like I do. I think I downloaded it on LimeWire once for my uncle. (laughs) (laughs) I recognise it. That's the measure of a good song. (laughs) Is that a subtle dig at my music taste? (laughs) No, it's not. I I really, really hate um, Golden Brown, which I think is Stranglers, no? Golden Brown. Gold, Golden Brown. <laughs> he really didn't fulfill his potential. He was the lead singer of the Stranglers, yeah. <laughs> is Golden Brown? Yeah, it's Golden yeah. Brown. Mm. It's not really like any other Stranglers song. No, but I don't like no. that one. It's just put me off the Stranglers in general. And I think their name's a bit aggressive. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> Can you name, or how many of the heroes, the heroes in quotes, because some of them arguably not heroes at all, but the people named in the song, Can you? how many of them can you name? Uh, probably all of them, because I know that I think I know the lyrics off by heart. I think I just have to run, run through it in my head. Zero. So for you, me. you try, Carl, and I'll just. Okay, Captain America. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> Iron Man. Nope. Uh, they're all. Um, they're not superheroes. Oh. They're Leon Trotsky. Leon Trotsky. Yep. Oh, I can do this. Sancho Panza. Yep. Um, Machu Picchu. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, are there any more um, communists? Vladimir Lenin. Uh, no, there's not. There is dear old Lenny, who... Of Mice and Men. Yeah. I want to pet the rabbits, George. Pet the rabbits. <laughs> Anna Kornikova. What I was, was going to say was, people often mistake dear old Lenny to mean Lenin, because they just sung about Trotsky. But it's not actually about Lenin, it's about... It's about Lenny Kravitz. I wish that I could fly into the sky so very high... <laughs> That song is so shit. When Just you say like that. a dragonfly. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I want to eat some pie. Yeah, it's not actually about Lenin, dear old Lenny. It's about Leonard Alfred Schneider, who was an old-time comedian known by the alias Lenny Bruce. But I won't go into him because I've got a lot mm. to talk about about some of the other heroes and we'll be here all day otherwise. Cool. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we should have put a timer on. Yeah. Um, Carl, you said earlier... Oh yeah, Trotsky. I could, I could do this. Um, I, I thought this might tickle your history bone because I know you're a bit of a. Oh, leave, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a bit of an enthusiast. What can you tell us about Trotsky? Um, ice pick to the head was his cause of death. Mm, that's in the song as well. That is in the song. Yeah. Yeah. Assassinated. He got, yeah. he got an ice pick that made his ears burn. Mm. He was um, originally a Menshevik in the communist struggle, Mensheviks versus Bolsheviks in. Russia in the early revolutionary years and he converted to a Bolshevik but it meant that he never really was trusted and he was exiled to Mexico <laughs> I think was he just exiled and he ended up in Mexico maybe yeah yeah 
<laughs> you can only go to Mexico. <laughs> um, yeah, so not a huge amount, but I know like his his origin story. Yeah, um, I, I got in my notes here. If Carl can't tell us about Trotsky, and then in brackets, doubtful, <laughs> and then a list of things. Um, I, I didn't really have much to add to that, uh, other than to say, was he a hero? Don't know. Um, my conclusion was probably not really. Um, he was undeniably, I think, very brave and passionate about the revolution and everything. And you might be able to forgive the workers for idolising him when he was apparently helping to end the rule of the Tsar and all that and improve their lives. But he did end up kind of doing the groundwork for, you know, bringing about a terrible oppressive regime that shaped Russia for That's the pretty thing. much yeah. decades. and Like millions. Like Stalin killed more than Nazi Germany in the end, really. So if he was a direct result of... Trotsky's work, then it wasn't really good work. Are we walking a tight tightrope here? Are we going to get a load of angry emails from Trotskyites, <laughs> modern day Trotskyites? <laughs> How many modern day Trotskyites do you think there are? I don't know. Uh, right, so I'll move on from Trotsky um, to the great Elmir, who's one of the ones you didn't mention, mm. who was <laughs> Elmir the elephant. <laughs> he packed his trunk. <laughs> Um, No, he was uh, apparently a very successful art collector, apparently, (laughs) but it later became obvious that he wasn't at all. He was actually one of the greatest art forgerers of... Forgerer? Forger? Forger. Uh, of of all time he was he was so good at forging art that people started making and selling fake elmires so they were forging the forgeries because they knew that they'd be able to sell them <laughs> that is amazing isn't it when you're so good at faking something that your art becomes art in itself do you know what i mean mm. it, it like just, just make you think though that like they didn't really get the concept like, i'm going to copy that rather than think why don't i just do my own thing because I'm obviously really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I didn't think of that. Yeah, but it's harder to come up with original ideas, isn't it? It is. If you take a painting that's already good. Have you seen the unmade bed? <laughs> I see it every morning. <laughs> and also, Sancho Panza, you mentioned. And finally, the Shakespeareos. Oh, yeah. Who, interesting, I feel, thought that they went with Shakespeareos instead of rhyming it with, I don't know, Nero. Because um, Nero did watch Rome burn. Yeah, because that's the next line, isn't it? Yeah. But I always thought when I was a kid that he was saying, they wash their own bum. <laughs> they wash their own bum? Yeah. <laughs> they probably did. <laughs> yeah, well, I wash my own bum because of early, that song. Is that the early that inspired you to sing all songs with finger in the bum? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Nero, as it happens, was allegedly loved by the lower class and despised by everybody that knew him. Because uh, he was apparently a bit of a tyrant, a bit of an arsehole. Um, but the, the lower classes didn't know that. They just thought he was brilliant. Mm. Him watching Rome burn, as you say, is that why Nero burning Rome was a thing? Yeah, I think I think that genuinely never, is it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, isn't it? Never really the, that. Wasn't is that the, why Cafe Nero is called Cafe Nero? Because they heat, burn up, the coffee. heat up the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> they burn your coffee beans. Wasn't the Nero burning, burning Rome logo... The Colosseum on fire, or something like that. I think that. it was actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't even tweak then. You're um, doing a lot of retro software references today, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. LimeWire, Nero <laughs> Burning Rum. Yeah. So I was downloading I something about... on Morpheus the other day, and <laughs> I've got something about Kazar here. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what's the point, Liam? <laughs> Please tell us. <laughs> oh wait, I'm Liam. Yeah, um, the Stranglers. 
sponsored by history, tell us that the people you think are heroes are probably not, and you shouldn't idolise them. So yeah, enjoy their YouTube channels, sure, but don't be surprised when they let you down and turn out to be sex pests. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it happened to us one day. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to let our fans down? <laughs> yeah. When people see us tickling your history bone <laughs> in public. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Carl, what you got? I've gone along the same lines about heroes and idolisation, I think, Liam. Um, if we look back to 2005's classic Batman Begins, mm. which, um, you know. I don't know if you noticed, but we're we all kind of like Batman at this podcast. As an aside, did you see the Batgirl news this week? Yeah. What was the Batgirl no, news? No, it was many, many weeks ago. <laughs> many, many weeks. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> As an aside, did you see the Batgirl news a few weeks ago? Many, yeah. many Last weeks, year, yeah. Last year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Liam, they cancelled the Batgirl film after completely making it and screening it to the test audience and then just said, um, it's not going to come out ever. Did the test audience absolutely hate it? No, I think it was just they're they're losing money and it was a tax write-off, right? Is that something? Like, yeah, well, the, the, apparently the, it got the same score as the It film, the horror film, on a test audience. So it's actually going to be all right. Oh. And Michael Keaton's in it as well. Yeah, I reckon it's going to be Keaton. a. Oh, we're not going to release this. There's going to be like release the Snyder Cut type of kind of fanfare. It's like um, the Futurama thing where they were like, "Oh, Bender's not going to be in the Return to the Return of Futurama." And then it went on for ages. And there, there was loads of people that were like, this is just a publicity stunt. And then he mm. signed the contract in the end. I don't know <laughs> if that's true that it's a publicity stunt. but Yeah. It's convenient though, isn't it? Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Generates publicity. All right. If, if people are like, we want Batgirl, they'll release it. What's the point mm. having a film that you haven't making it and they're not released? Anyway, Batman Begins in 2005, directed by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> that was a one word. <laughs> there was a time when Christopher Nolan was my favourite director ever. And what I, stopped it? You have found out he was an arsehole. <laughs> I, I went for a period of watching nothing but Christopher Nolan films. To do that, there's not a huge amount of them. No, and this was in like 2009. So I think I must have got through them pretty quickly. So you had Batman Begins, uh, The Dark Knight, I think, 2008. Mm. Memento. Memento. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been something else. Oh, The Prestige. The Prestige, yes. Yeah. So you got four films to watch over and over again. Bloody good films. For someone who doesn't watch films as well, yeah, I think I think I got to a point where because they're usually quite they're quite smart films, aren't they? And I used to really like that. And as I've got older, I'm less impressed with smart films. I just want to watch something that you don't have to think about for well, years. Also, hmm. they're less smart when you don't understand them. Like Tenet, I don't think you both of you've seen Tenet yet, have you? No, it's fucking ridiculous. And he yeah. just says when you when I, I, I googled as everyone probably has what what's going on in Tenet, and then um. Christian Owen was like, listen, just enjoy the ride. I don't have to understand it all the time. <laughs> so he doesn't even understand it no. himself. <laughs> yeah, so I think he's got a little, maybe a little bit too clever. But in, uh, I won't go into too much, because I reckon most of our listeners would have seen it, but Batman Begins is an origin story for Batman. But it's really good to see, because I don't think we ever got an origin story before this. As you mean a- like where he trains? Basically, they... Give you an origin story in basically every Batman adaptation. Yeah, his and parents it's usually, get killed every time. It's probably like a one scene <laughs> flashback, isn't it? Yeah, his parents got killed equals Batman. But yeah, exactly. They yeah. skip the bit out where he actually become Batman. Yeah, yeah, or began as Batman. In this where he one, begins. He, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you kind of you get to see Bruce Wayne as a lost soul um, after his parents had died, not knowing what to do, got loads of money, falling down a well, 
bats everywhere. <laughs> you know. I love the details you're leaving in. <laughs> Got loads of money, falls down a well. <laughs> and it kind of culminates to um, he thinks his sole purpose is to um, get revenge by killing the man that killed his parents. Um, so he takes a gun to the courthouse, but then someone else assassinates him. Um, Falcone has him killed instead. So he's like, oh, look, now you, now you nick my purpose as well. So he goes off around the world, ends up in prison in Bhutan. Um, mm. And he nicks an apple and gets the shit kicked out of him or something like that. From memory, mm. I haven't watched it. but <laughs> Never um, seen it. Have you not seen it? <laughs> it's one of the four films you've seen, Liam. <laughs> um, and then a guy called Henry Ducard takes Bruce under his wing. And ends up training him to be a ninja, which is quite cool. And then he joins the League of Shadows, which I would love. The League of Shadows. League of Shadows. Shadows. <laughs> Shadows. <laughs> We're in the League of Shadows. <laughs> I am a total slag. <laughs> Sounds like something you'd see on a stag boot, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> T-shirts with League of Shadows League on them. <laughs> We're in the League of Shadows. <laughs> um, I would love for someone to invite me to be in something called like the League of Shadows. Imagine. Yeah. What did we do? We play World of Warcraft. <laughs> we um we hide in the dark. <laughs> the League of Shadows. It turns out, well, um, Bruce thinks like he's in a cool thing. They're going to do cool stuff and take down bad people. Turns out they want to like destroy Gotham, which you know Gotham isn't full of great people, but it's full of innocent people as well. So, um, it turns out Henry Ducard's a bit of a dick. Um, you know, we talked about League of Shadows, League of Shadows destroying Rome and things like that. So they've kind of dictated history over the years by using their um, influence. So, Wait, were they? was it their fault that Rome burned down when Nero was in charge? Yeah, they invented Nero burning Rome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Bruce kind of looked up, up to Henry as a father figure because he had no structure in his life. And then he was like, oh, no, he's a crazy <laughs> sociopathic murderer. Yeah. And then he burns down his house and... Um, Thinks he's dead when he falls off a cliff. Um, he's not dead and he comes back to Gotham and he's like, I am Gotham's reckoning. He's not. His mate was said that. But um, <laughs> he ends up letting him get killed by a train. So I would agree with Liam. Don't idolise people because you're going to be disappointed eventually or you could could be. Um, and there's no going back really when you find out your hero's a knobhead. I just realised that we forgot to give our pickle a name. Ah, so mm. before before we Razal to you, Aaron. <laughs> Razal Ghul. What's the herb we use in cooking? Razal Hanut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call him that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so advice so far has pretty much unanimously been: don't meet your heroes and don't idolise them either. Aaron, yeah, what do you think? I wish that we'd consulted on this beforehand because that's my advice as well. It's as fine. Soon as you said we it can agree. Beginning. No, I don't really want to agree with either of you. You're such a prick. Can you not spin your comments to... Right, I'm going to... I've got a whole thing of don't meet your heroes, but I'm going to... The conclusion's going to be meet your heroes. <laughs> <laughs> you ready for this? Wild ride. <laughs> uh, nah, it is a sad day, but we are all in agreement. I would say don't meet your heroes either. But you can still consume their art if you can separate the art from the artist. So I'm going to tell you about some writers who have committed questionable acts or have questionable attitudes and even some artists outside of the writing world. I know that books are supposed to be my specialty on this podcast, but I'm overreaching massively. I'm trying to, you know... You're reaching around. 
I'm reaching around massively. I'm trying to pull off a concept where I overtake your two roles in the um, in the podcast and just swallow it all up. If you <laughs> come swallow, <laughs> if you were to uh, overtake our two roles mm. and do a podcast entirely on your own, would you? Would it just be you monologuing for an no, hour? I'd do different voices. Would you? Yeah, <laughs> Liam. What do you think of this? Well, hello there. My name is Liam. <laughs> At a party in 1960, Norman Mailer, author of The Executioner's Song, winner of the 1979 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, stabbed his wife twice, once in the chest and once in the back. She right. She was, actually. She survived. Good girl. Later, he claimed that this was to relieve her of her cancer because she had cancer at the time. So when, However, you said, when you said artists have done questionable things... Quite questionable, You went straight it? in with a stab in there, didn't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, but trying, went to, in. trying to stab the cancer, though, not her. <laughs> I went in strong. Yeah, he claimed that he was trying to relieve her of the cancer, but when someone tried to help her, apparently he shouted, get away from her, let the bitch die. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm not mm. completely sure, but... <laughs> I'm not laughing at... The woman being stabbed <laughs> laughing at yeah. what I'm laughing at. Yeah. <laughs> the audacity. Yeah. That's what you're laughing exactly. at. Alan Ginsberg, writer of the poem Howl, which was featured in the book Howl and Other Poems. Shallow Howl. Shallow no. Howl needs to go. Howl as in, oh! <laughs> okay. <laughs> and which is considered to be one of the great works of American literature, was a supporter and member of Nambler. Do you know what Nambler is? I feel like I do. National Association. It's the North American Man-Boy Love Association that works to abolish age of consent laws and legalise sexual relations between adults and children. He said he joined in defence of free speech. But Andrea Swarkin, in her 2002 book Heartbreak, said... In 1982, newspapers reported in huge headlines that the Supreme Court had ruled child pornography illegal. I was thrilled. I knew Alan would not be. I did think he was a civil libertarian, but, in fact, he was a paedophile. He did not belong to the North American Man-Boy Love Association out of some mad, abstract conviction that its voice had to be heard. He meant it. I take this from what Alan said directly to me, not from some inference I made. He was exceptionally aggressive about his right to fuck children and his constant pursuit of underage boys. Also, if you really care about free speech, I bet there's other less terrible things to support. Exactly. Yeah. Like that, I, but anyway, I'm going to move on to the music world. In 1976, Eric Clapton, writer of uh, Wonderful Tonight, among other songs. Layla. Layla. Got me on my knees. Took a break from playing songs during a concert in Birmingham to have a little bit of a racist rant. Birmingham, UK or Birmingham, Alabama? Birmingham. Birmingham. UK. <laughs> <laughs> quote. I'm not going to quote the whole thing because it's a little bit It's terrible. To be honest, yeah. I know about this. Yeah. I'm going to quote an extract. Do we have any foreigners in the audience tonight? If so, please put up your hands. So where are you? Well, wherever you are, I think you should all just leave. Not just leave the hall, leave our country. I don't want you here, in the room or in my country. Listen to me, man. I think we should vote for Enoch Powell. Enoch is our man. I think Enoch's right. I think we should send them all back. Stop Britain from becoming a black colony. Get the foreigners out. That's There's expletives in there. Yeah, it gets a lot more offensive, and I'm not going to go any further because it would require me to repeat racial slurs unnecessarily. Point is... 
he was still calling Enoch Powell's comments relevant in 2007. And he supports fox hunting and thinks that people who have been vaccinated against COVID-19 are under hypnosis. So Eric Clapton... Is an a-hole. <laughs> yes. I always thought he was just a bit overrated. I didn't realise he was an overrated <laughs> arsehole. Now, what I'm trying to say is a lot of people are scumbags. But does that make the art that they create bad art? Does it make you a bad person if you still enjoy their art? If Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton contains no racist lyrics or undertones, should I still turn the radio off when it comes on? Is Howl a bad poem because it was written by an alleged paedophile? I'm, I'm not sure we're qualified to answer these questions, Aaron. <laughs> well, it's a huge and complex subject. There is a lot of debate about whether you can separate the art from the artist. And mm. some people are really adamant that you can't. You have to just pretend their art never happened, basically. It's wiped from history. The, there's actually a really good example in the wrestling world of this. And it's uh, Chris Benoit, who murdered his wife and child in a, like, an alleged steroid rage. But also... His move was a diving headbutt, and he had the brain of an 87-year-old Alzheimer's patient, it turned out, when they did oh, a brain scan. What, in a jar? And always, if he comes up in some kind of debate, it's, he was a great wrestler. It's like, yeah, but he's a murderer. It's like, yeah, but he's a great wrestler. Like, some people want him in, like, a wrestling hall of fame, and they're like, mm, you can't really do that. He might be a great wrestler, but you can't do that. But that's the debate, is like, like WWE slash WWF undone his entire history. And like, if you watch old stuff on their network thing, they cut out his matches and stuff. Mm. But he was good at what he did. He's just a terrible well, person. That is, this is my question to you yeah. two. Can you separate the art from the artist? I think in some cases, yeah. I like Michael Jackson's songs. Yeah. Mm. I think songs are a bit easier because you don't have to look at them, do you? It's an interesting question. I don't think we can solve it today, here and now. But Well, my view is that I can completely separate the art from the artist. As long as it's not uh, the content of that art, is not indicative of their disgusting views or actions. It's still an amazing song. If it was written by someone else, it would still be an amazing song. So I think the big sticking point comes when the person is still alive mm -hmm. so they can still profit from that. Like if you're listening on Spotify, they're going to get a fraction of a penny when you listen to that song. <laughs> and you don't want them to get any money because you don't want to feed the beast. If you don't want them to profit, I would say some people's view <laughs> would be that's justification to steal their art. You know, you don't uh, want them to profit. But. I like that. That's good, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to advocate that because I don't advocate theft on this podcast. So you're saying I should become <laughs> a rapper? That's nowhere near anything I just said, <laughs> What's your problem? There's no use trying to pretend you haven't got one. The three of us are here to lend a friendly ear. And help you out with all that strife that's lately marked your life. Why not divulge it? You never know, we may have tips that help you solve it. We know it's unlikely, but it's an impossibility if you don't share your problem. Okay, on to problem two. I've lost all my confidence. When I was a teenager, I was so confident that it probably verged on arrogance. But now, I don't even feel confident enough to introduce myself to strangers at work networking events. It holds me back professionally and romantically, and I'm sick of it. How do I build myself up again? 
Big question. How many romantic partners have you met at work networking events? <laughs> how many have you had? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> What's your body count? <laughs> All right. Let's not forget to give our pickle a name this time. Who... Is Jimmy. good at socially networking. Jimmy, Jimmy Hendrix. Hendrix. All right. <laughs> so I'll help Jimmy first. I was going to ask uh, to give the listeners a bit of insight into our host's souls. Mm. Have you ever had any issues with confidence? Because I, 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 you two strike me as very confident people. Mm. Sort of facade, Liam. I think this this description fits me quite well. When I was a teenager, I felt very confident and outgoing, and I was borderline loud. Arrogant. Yeah, I was basically. I was like very loud and proud. Um, I would happily get into arguments with people just to argue with them. And now I fear confrontation so much that it makes me not very confident at all. Like I don't want to talk to people I don't know very well. I don't even want to have arguments with people I know love me. If you know what I mean. Like I feel so bad after I have an argument with a family member that it makes me not want to talk much mm. in case I'm controversial if you know what I mean if we're um, out and about mm. and it's not I'm not saying it's just drink related but if we're out having a laugh mm. you seem much more comfortable yeah with, like, chatting to strangers that's the drink Carl is that just the drink <laughs> <laughs> the old Dutch courage mm. <laughs> yeah I would never ever sound confident particularly but I'd just come across as it maybe I don't know like when I do those um, at work where you have to do like the psych, not psychology test, but you do like, you answer a load of questions and tell you what kind of personality you are. It always is introvert and it always shocks me. Mm. Um, but maybe I know how to act like I'm confident. One of my old bosses used to say, perception is reality. So whatever you seem like to other people, that's what you are really. Yeah. And it is a bit true that because true, yeah. everyone else is seeing that side of you. So obviously you are a confident person. You just don't know it in your head. You need to tell yourself, Carl. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody thinks you're Batman, Carl. <laughs> so you're saying that Carl needs to start a career as a rapper called Batman. <laughs> He's desperate to start that career, <laughs> isn't he? So, so I'm a rapper? <laughs> <laughs> MC Batman. <laughs> what about you, Liam? What would you say? I would say that you, Aaron, just described me in what you said about yourself. I mean, well, the difference is I don't think I've ever been confident, whereas you said you used to be confident. Mm. I think... There's, cert- there's definitely certain situations where I feel more confident in others, uh, sorry, than others, and they're usually the ones where I've been preparing for like eight hours the previous day, what I'm going to say. Like social events. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, I was going to say podcasting sessions. <laughs> Is it time for the small talk session? <laughs> <laughs> also, um, also at work, because like, I've been doing my job for quite a while now and I feel like I know what I'm talking about, so I'm not really... I don't really have any fear. But when it comes to like social situations and things like that, exactly what you said, like I don't like confrontation at all and I don't like arguing with people. I don't, in general, I don't really have like strong opinions on things. But when I do have an opinion, I often feel like I don't have enough kind of arguments to back it up. And I feel like yeah. if I ever got into that situation, I would like make a fool of myself. Sort of yeah. Thing. What Same is much. absolutely insane to me though is that you you will perform musically in front of like loads of people crowds of thousands crowds of thousands yeah, but it's, a, it's a different on your podcast to <laughs> the entire world it's it's completely different though isn't it because like i say it's like it's, it's that preparation when 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 you're performing music you practice it hundreds of times you're not really that con- 
worried that anything's going to go wrong. Muscle memory. When it comes to when it comes to like being the front man, that's the bit I hate because it's like you have to think of things to say on the spot, and you can prepare that stuff, I guess. But I never really done. Yeah, it. I know, but I think you're doing yourself a disservice there because it takes confidence to perform even if you're confident if you're you're confident in your ability which is confidence Mm. yeah I think um, there are stories we tell ourselves aren't there like you can I always say to myself well I always say things like I've got a very good memory and I think you're hammering that belief into your brain by repeating those things when really you might have a good memory and it's the same thing with confidence like you can convince yourself you haven't got any confidence and the effect is that you haven't in the end because you've convinced yourself but maybe if you just stopped telling yourself that or if you didn't phrase it as I've got no confidence you maybe said I don't feel that confident today or something like that something that isn't definite it's just temporary then you give yourself space to have that uh, improvement but it's very difficult isn't it (laughs) yeah I feel like this is coming from your new self-help book yeah. When is when is the release? <laughs> Aaron tickles your history bone. <laughs> and other Trotsky facts. <laughs> right, anyway, Aaron, you said you've got yeah, something to Yeah, let's help some Jimmies. <laughs> I haven't got a self-help book, Jimmy, sorry. But maybe I can bring you some writers who have got some help for you. Now, as I've said before, Jimmy, young adult books are full of angsty teenagers who are just so misunderstood and have cripplingly low self-esteem, even though they're beautiful. And they also happen to be the center of a love triangle with all the hottest guys in school and are strong and powerful enough to single-handedly bring down dictatorships. That was my impression of Katniss Everdeen. (laughs) (laughs) A volunteerish tribute. (laughs) She's like from Essex <laughs> on Love Island. Yeah. A volunteerist tribute. <laughs> I would watch that film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like tribute on that or something. <laughs> What's it mean? What's tribute even mean? <laughs> Who is she? Um, so I could have picked any young adult book and told you to read those to realise your power, Jimmy. But instead, I planned to do what I always do and compile, compile a list of authors who had low self-esteem or had a lull in their careers before experiencing like a triumphant comeback like you could have. But then I stumbled across Diana Athill's story in a Guardian article about authors writing about failure. And having read it, I decided that she'll be the only one I talk about. So Diana Athill, OBE, was a novelist, memoirist, and literary editor who worked with some huge names in literature. Philip Roth, author of American Pastoral, which is one of my favorite books. Norman Mailer, mentioned in Problem One, stabbed his wife. Margaret Atwood, author of The Handmaid's Tale, among other books. Have you read that? Yes. It's good. Yes. Simone de Beauvoir. mm, Sorry, Simone. I just can't say that. (laughs) Author of The Second Sex. John Updike, author of the Rabbit series, which began with Rabbit Run. And Jack... Finished with 8 Mile. No. (laughs) I want to rap with Rabbit. (laughs) No, Cole, you can't be a rapper. (laughs) And Jack Kerouac, author of On the Road, which I thought was shit. (laughs) <laughs> which you can hear more about in season two, episode eleven. Cool, but history agony art. Rewind. Declare your agony art history Point is, she was clearly shit hot at what she did, and 
I'm going to put a link to this Guardian article in the show notes, but if you read her account, she fell in love at 15, she got engaged at 18, her future husband was stationed in Egypt with the RAF and gradually he, they were writing to each other, he gradually stopped answering and after months of like anguish for her, he finally wrote to her telling her that he was marrying someone else. Um, and she writes, I was so thoroughly the victim of current romantic attitudes that, in spite of that recognition, I was unable to withstand a sickening feeling that a woman worth her salt would have been too powerfully attractive to allow this disaster, disaster to happen. And I was not that woman. She says her sexual self-confidence was wiped out and that for most of my 20s and 30s, I equated love with pain, plunged into hopeless relationships and staggered out of them further reduced. But then she discovered that she could write. And that was when she entered a short story into the Observer's short story competition and beat 2,000 other entrants to win the prize. And for her, this kind of seemed to banish her self-esteem issue. She said, That dreary bedrock under the surface of my life was no longer there, and off I could go into happiness. Almost at once I started the most satisfying relationship of my life, which lasted for 40 years until it was ended by the illness of the man I was living with. She ends the article with, Whatever the nature of the feeling, it allows me to state that it is possible to recover from failure, to digest it, to make use of it and forget it, which is something to remember if you happen to be experiencing it. And that is my advice to you, Jimmy. Find something you're good at, find something you're shit hot at, like Diana Athill did, and do it whenever you can. And before you know it, you will have forgotten those feelings that got you down in the first place, that you were, that you had low self-esteem. And you'll be confident because you'll be being shit hot 24-7. Playing Woodstock. Yes. Woodstock 2022. (laughs) (laughs) That's very inspiring. Two multiplied by 10 plus one. Aaron Dunn. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Two multiplied by 10. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, that was uh, was really good. I think, um, I don't know, it blew me away a little bit. I thought that was really good advice. Yeah? Yeah. I blew you. (laughs) (laughs) oh we've got tickling bones we've got blowing reach around it's the sex special again we're back hello ASMR so (laughs) I mentioned earlier this uh, this kind of fear of 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 looking foolish like a fear of ridicule type of thing do you know what if you change it around ridicule can sound like ridicule really cool you're really cool I've got a fear of being really cool (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, your fear's never going to be realised. <laughs> <laughs> Doing wonders for the confidence here. <laughs> so, Jimmy, if you are if you are like me and suffering from a fear of ridicule, I, I actually found a pretty good example from the music industry. Ironically, it comes from somebody who claims to have no fear at all. And I'm talking about Dead friend all. of the show, Eminem's 2010 single, I'm Not Afraid. I'm not afraid to make you stand. <laughs> um, he was doing the echo you were doing the next line <laughs> we didn't plan that at all have you we? seen the uh, Ben Affleck Daredevil film to the point where yes. you remember lines from it no <laughs> I've Why, seen does, it. He, does he quote Eminem word for word yeah he goes I'm not free <laughs> um, in that they they hit home that Daredevil was fearless man without fear I think that's a comic thing the man mm. and um, Kingpin says um, how do you kill a man without fear and then Colin Farrell Whose balls I says, you put the fear in him. Is that a sexual thing? Yeah. Is he holding a dildo that's written the fear on it? 
<laughs> Bring me the fear. <laughs> so dildos, Liam, go. All right. <laughs> anyway, Liam, you were talking about dildos? Thanks for the input, guys. <laughs> um, no, but I was... Uh, we have established in the past that... that you, you, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to continue on the dildo thing. But we, we have established in the past that you two have... <laughs> Next to the fee, you've got confidence. <laughs> it's twice as large. <laughs> Remove the dildo of fear. Attach the dildo of triumph. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna need a minute. <laughs> we've we've established in the past that you two are much better versed in M and M law than I am. So um, I'm sure you'll already know when I tell you that a few of the lyrics from "I'm Not Afraid" are about the the critical and fan reaction to the previous two albums, "Relapse" and "Encore." That last "Relapse" CD was eh. Indeed, isn't that a line in the thing? Perhaps I ran them accents into the ground. Mm. Do, do you know much about these albums? Uh, it didn't go down very well, Relapse, because um, What's the he, d- he jokes about it on Bad Meets Evil album as well, where he says something about uh, the woman he's dating. She, I think she takes the Relapse CD out of his car CD player and snaps it because um, it's so shit. What, um, <laughs> what singles come from Relapse? 3am in the morning, put my key in the door and bodies laying all over the floor and I don't remember how they got there but I guess I must have killed them. Killed them. (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) So specifically as well, he alludes to his drug addiction and how it affected the albums. And uh, and like like Aaron said, he he talks about the... uh, Well, he says in the song, let's be honest, the last relapse city was air. And uh, he talks about the accents as well that he put on, which didn't go down very well. And uh, all of this brings me to my point, which is that Eminem didn't actually have a fear of ridicule to stop him from making bad decisions and getting flack for it. But what he did afterwards was openly admitted to his mistakes and took ownership of them. And most importantly, he learned from it and he tried to do better. And I think what this tells you is that it's okay to be afraid, but you shouldn't let that stop you. You shouldn't let that fear stop you from living your life. Mm. And it's totally human to make mistakes. And, you know, the important thing is to learn from them. Maybe you just got to feel the fear and do it anyway. Oh, that's a book. (laughs) (laughs) My therapist. I don't know if you know about this, but... Is, is that my, how they talk? <laughs> oh, hello. Welcome to therapy. <laughs> my therapist says, if you if you fear confrontation, start pissing people off. <laughs> Basically, start practicing pissing people off. Do things that will make people annoyed with you so that you can practice having confrontation. The only way to stop fearing confrontation is to get into some confrontations. If you avoid it all your life, you're never going to get better at it. Is this why you've been being such a prick? Yeah. No, that was just natural. (laughs) (laughs) The point being, not doing things that make their lives misery. Don't literally, like, punch people in the face in the street or something. But, you know, just do things like... Confidence! I don't know. know, um, If your neighbour is the kind of person who moans at you for putting your bin in a certain place on bin day, put it in that place. Let her come round and say, "What's your bin there, you scumbag?" <laughs> I used to think you were a scumbag, but now I know you're a total scumbag. <laughs> <laughs>
Is he this, done, Liam? Is this Carl's neighbour? Can, can Carl use that as his segue into his point? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Carl. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, you've been, you know, it's very insightful, your points, and um, really, really actually helpful. So I'm glad that I can continue that trade of thought with um, Austin Powers, despite the shape. <laughs> Ruby, baby. <laughs> Behave. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, in Austin Powers, A Spy Who Shagged Me from 1999, directed by Jim Roach, but masterminded by our man Mike Myers. Michael Myers. Michael Myers. No, <laughs> <laughs> that was Halloween theme. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was. Was it all right? I mean, if you hadn't said Michael Myers, I wouldn't have recognised it. <laughs> but apart from that, it was great. <laughs> so in um, Austin Powers, you know, groovy... Lafario, what a guy, everyone loves him, women want to shag him. He's got intense sexual magnetism and he shags whoever he likes at his shag pad. Mm. Um, so, Dr. Evil, um, he plans to neuter Austin by going back to 1969 when, I can't remember why, but Austin Powers was frozen in time, a bit like mm. Captain America. Um, and fat bastard, he extracts Austin's mojo from his frozen self. Mm. And in the past, and so in the future... While Austin is shagging, trying to shag his About to assassin, shag. Um, Ivana lot. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I've lost my mojo. Exactly. <laughs> and for the rest of the film, well, he's not the shagadelic, groovy guy that he we know and love. And he can't fulfill his shagging duties <laughs> duties <laughs> um, so they travel back in time in a Volkswagen Beetle or Austin does to recover his mojo and when he gets there he uh, meets CIA agent Felicity Shagwell Shagwell by name shag very well by nature yeah. <laughs> exactly or by reputation or was it nature oh, I can't remember yeah so they track down Dr. Evil's lair so really the, the whole thing is like the kind of saving the world is a side plot the main plot is he's trying to recover his mojo mm. but really Dr. Evil's trying to plant a laser on the moon to destroy the planet or hold the planet to ransom mm. laser <laughs> and this is, is that the, where he's trying to hold it to ransom for one million dollars well it, that's what he says in the first one and they laugh oh. because it's nothing and then this one he goes one billion gazillion <laughs> trillion <laughs> yen <laughs> yeah. This is 1969. That kind of money don't exist, does it? Yeah. <laughs> so the way they find Doctor Evil's lair is, um, they Felicity Shagwell plants a bug on Fat Bastard. Oh no, does she plant a bug? But does she? They get hold of his shit, basically, <laughs> and they find a vegetable that only grows in one Caribbean island in his shit. And so they work out that that's where his lair is. He mistakes it for coffee at one point and drinks it, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he goes, this coffee tastes like shit. <laughs> it's a bit nutty. <laughs> that is shit, Austin. And then he continues to drink it, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, so when he gets to the evil, evil lair, Dr. Evil's plan succeeds and Felicity Shagwell dies and Austin Powers fails. So what does he do? Goes back in time. Ten minutes. Yeah, indeed. And then there's two Austins that both work together to um, foil Dr. Evil. But unfortunately, both of them can't save the mojo, which smashes on the floor and goes everywhere. So whilst they save the world, he doesn't save his mojo. But Felicity Shagwell reminds him that you saved the world, Austin. You had your mojo all along. Which raises the question, hmm. what did they extract from him? Well, <laughs> there's actually a fandom page on Austin Powers, and there's a separate article on mojo <laughs> and it was it, it, there's a whole discussion about does it naturally re 
regenerate. <laughs> regenerate. <Yeah. laughs> Your body produces mojo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me from 1999, teaches us is that if you had that confidence and no one's extracted it, that bastard hasn't extracted it from your genitals. It's still in you. So mm. you need to reignite it and do, you know, maybe save the world and then maybe you realise that you're still confident. I got a problem. Someone's exploiting me. I'm not a pop star. I just can't speak properly. But they keep recording me. Quit it. Dear Agony Heart. Could you please help me? All right, last but not least, on to problem three. My friend has a podcast with a really cool, unique premise, but he's having trouble coming up with content. How can I help him? Why do our friends keep writing into this podcast, <laughs> attacking us? Yeah. I mean, I don't think they can be helped. I think they We've only come up now, with, like, what, 30 episodes of content, bitch? So, yeah, go fuck yourself. Bitch. <laughs> yeah, but how much trouble did we have coming up with that content? <laughs> it's taken us three years, Carl. <laughs> what are we going to call these people, this person? Who's a friend we don't like? <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't listen to the podcast. Let's call him George because it's 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're all right, George. Both Georges. But yeah, let's call it George. <laughs> you're all right, George, but the other George is a prick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of you Georges is all right. <laughs> so, Carl, what have you got for George? Uh, nothing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no content. No. Right, moving on, Aaron. <laughs> No, I'm going to talk about a film called The Dead Poet Society. Or actually, it's just called Dead Poet Society. I've heard of this. You've heard it? Seen it? No. I've got it on DVD, or maybe I haven't anymore. I probably mm. gave it to a charity shop, but yeah. I never watched yeah. it. No. Is it the one where they stand on the tables and go, Oh, Captain, my captain? Yes. Yeah. And that's that's it. in The Simpsons. Yeah, probably is. <laughs> yeah, I think he is, actually. You're right, yeah. So, um, it's uh, 1989, directed by Peter Weir. Budget, $16 million. Box office? $16.1 million. $25 million. $236 million. Oh, my Closest. days. So <laughs> <laughs> nice work. This was um, Robin Williams. Was he the master or the commander? <laughs> he was the dead poet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he plays John Keating, who's a new English teacher at Weldon Private School in 1959. Is that Ronan Keating's dad? Granddad. Ah. Oh. So really, this is kind of short and sweet. Um, in their English lesson they he encourages them that in the first page of their poetry books it's got like a, a equation on how to rate a poem whether it's good or not which is oh. a bit weird i don't know if that's a real thing um so he tells them to rip it out because one person might think it's bad but you might think it's good and um he encourages the students to stand on their desk to recite poetry so they see things from a different perspective all fun and games till one of the desks collapses and the school gets sued isn't it yeah exactly <laughs> the yeah. kid broke his arm in 1959 1959 when desks were made of balsa wood <laughs> they didn't really have health and safety in 1959 though, did they nah so, hats um, were invented in 1960 <laughs> by Edgar J Hardhat 
<laughs> when John Keating went to this school, uh, he established a dead poet society. And this says in the synopsis, the students re-established a dead poet society, sneak off to a cave at night to read poetry together. Oh, <laughs> naughty. naughty. <laughs> Um, so really, the standing on a desk thing seems to work because the students realise things about themselves that one of them doesn't want to go to Harvard, he wants to be an actor, and he stands up to his dad. and On a um, desk. On a desk. Yeah, so basically, <laughs> that is it. Um, you need to encourage your friend to see things from a different perspective. So stand on a desk and record your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to get on the desk now? Yeah, and shout. What does it have to shout again? I can't remember. Oh, Captain, my captain. Oh, Captain, my captain. Why do they shout that? Um, it's a poem. Oh, right. And they're dead poets. And um, I think that um, in general, you don't have to come up with, um, like you're saying, this, they've got a unique premise, but the content doesn't have to be unique necessarily. No, I want to, if I'm listening to a podcast that has a unique premise, yeah. I want to be hearing words that I've never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be coining words on that podcast. <laughs> Yeah. That's crumblumptulous. <laughs> <laughs> so I think your friends make it a little bit difficult for themselves, maybe. Maybe. When I'm having a creative block, I get inspiration by reading books that are incredibly well written. Like when I'm reading a book and I'm like, fuck me, this is excellent writing. It just makes me want to start writing at the time to be like, I've got to like emulate this. I've got to be as good as this person was. I can never be as good as the excellent writers that I've read but I'm inspired to write simply because I'm reading something which shows incredible skills so I'm not going to just be lazy and recommend one of my favorite books ever and say this was so inspirational to me I'm going to be one step up on the lazy ladder (laughs) you're not going to recommend anything (laughs) climbing the lazy ladders are nowhere Bill I scrolled through random reviews on Goodreads until I found the first one that used the word inspirational. <laughs> and then that's the book I'm recommending. And I got in trouble for reading Wikipedia word for word. <laughs> this is The Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Albom. It tells the story of Eddie, a ride mechanic in an amusement park who dies and is sent to heaven where he meets five people who had a significant impact on him while he was alive. I have not read it. <laughs> But it stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for 95 weeks. So it must have been how many years is that? That's a lot of weeks. That's 17 years. Wow. (laughs) I'm not excellent at maths, but (laughs) (laughs) one of my good Goodreads friends, bearing in mind that my Goodreads friends are a bit like MySpace friends, in that I've met probably three out of the 200 friends that I've got. Did you, do you remember MySpace when people would be proud of having 15,000 friends? Yeah, you, you've got like your six, six yeah, favourites you as well. Top eight. Top eight, top eight, eight yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was really bad, wasn't it? Yeah. And if you wanted to give someone some shade, you'd take them out of your take top, eight. top eight. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it used to be all really awkward if people were like, why am I not in your top eight? You'd be yeah. like, oh. <laughs> oh, I just, I forgot to add you. <laughs> anyway, one of my Goodreads friends said, inspirational, compelling and touching, beautifully written. When you say they're your Goodreads friends, have you and you met them? Are they friends that you know on Good, that connected to you on Goodreads? I think I'm friends with Liam on Goodreads. You know, those are the kind of people that so you didn't. I mean, meet, I've met. You didn't meet them on Goodreads and then meet them in person. No, Goodreads meet up. No, that's the way you get yourself murdered, Carl. I was going to be shocked. <laughs> that's a true crime podcast in the making. Uh, the Goodreads killer. 
But another one of my Goodreads friends who I do know a little bit because I sent them a free book once and we've chatted on Instagram a few times and they seem really smart and witty. They seem like a nice person. Has added this book to their never to be finished or spoken of list. And so another one says, this is just the most awful book I have ever read. I hate this book. (laughs) So it might not be inspirational for you, uh, George, or rather your friend, but maybe it will. And that's what I'm saying. Just, <laughs> just read something inspirational because then it will inspire you into creativity. Uh, I, I think you're right. I was going to um, talk a little bit about what I do for inspiration, which might, may or may not be helpful. There's two things. One of them is what I think I should do. And the other thing is the thing that I actually do. So what I think I should do is just generally think about the podcast more often. Like when I'm listening to music, make a make a mental note of the lyrics, maybe even a literal note on my phone or something, and be like, or you know, think, oh, this sounds like it might be relevant for something like this, you know, do that sort of thing, like uh, constant research, but mm. passive rather than actively doing it. I reckon that would help. <laughs> what I actually do, if I actually did it, is uh, cramming it all in at the last minute and stressing myself out. So I reckon don't do that. <laughs> Try not to do that because that is uh, is not ideal. But then even when I do have ideas, turning them into content can be tough because it's not just enough. It's not enough to just say, like, listen to this song. You know, there has to be a story. It has to be interesting. You know, sometimes every move I make feels lost with no direction. Dun, 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 My faith is shaking, but I've got to keep trying. Oh, can't you see? Got to keep my head held high. You belong to me. Oh, this is not the song. <laughs> <laughs> you said every move I made. Oh, is it the puff, it's the Puff Daddy one you mean. Every step you take is is the song you were singing. <laughs> every move I make. Every step I take. I'll be watching me. <laughs> I'm right. Am I not right? No. No. Oh. But you were close. I did think of that when Liam said it. Go on. Absolutely interrupted my uh, my bit there. Sorry. <laughs> That's what we do, though. <laughs> yeah. Um... But, you know, that's when I realised that there's always going to be another mountain. And I'm always going to want to make it move. Ain't oh. no mountain high enough. There's no. always the going to be an uphill battle. Uh, Some sometimes I'm going to have to lose. It ain't about how fast I get there. And it ain't about what's waiting on the other side. It's the climb. It is the climb, George. It's the climb. And the Britney song was on. And the Britney song was on. <laughs> so I put my hands up. Play my song. Butterflies fly away. <laughs> Climbing the hill like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving mountains like we. <laughs> so, pop quiz. I reckon you both know this. Um, which X Factor winner covered the climb in Jeremy December Kildry. of the same year? 2009. Jeremy Kildry. <laughs> you are correct. Jeremy Kildry? Aaron, well done. <laughs> uh, which 2009 film was it recorded for? You might have already said this. Uh, 127 hours. <laughs> uh, he sings it while he's sawing his arm off. <laughs> <laughs> so I put my hands up. Myself, I didn't so I cut my hand off. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I just want to... I want to think of more Miley Cyrus songs. Is it the Hon- Hannah Montana movie? It is Hannah Montana the movie. Is it? Yeah. Um, and she does the... Oh, what? So you're not talking about the Jamie Keldry 
No, no, no. No, because I thought you meant that (laughs) version was recorded for the Hannah Montana film. But it wasn't actually originally written for the film. And that is notable because they put it up for a Grammy and they had to withdraw it because films that can win Grammys have to be written specifically for the film. It was co-written by country songwriters Jesse Alexander and John Mape about their struggles in the music industry, uh, which... Arguably makes it a bit more relevant to our pickle than Hannah Montana the movie would have. Carl, do you know about the plot to Hannah Montana the movie? I've got no idea. <laughs> I know there's a hoedown showdown. There is, and in, <laughs> in the end credits, all the cast sing it, and apparently it's very wholesome fun. <laughs> <laughs> Why is um, country music either whiskey fighting or inspirational? A shitload of country songs are just, My wife has left me, I'm really sad. I'm singing in a southern accent. Took a shot of whiskey and <laughs> got off my land. <laughs> yeah, like like depressing, but sometimes upbeat depressing songs yeah. as well. Yeah. So um, I'll fill you in a little bit on Hannah Montana, the movie. It's about a girl called Miley Ray Stewart. Suspicious. This is where it gets stupid because Hannah Montana is Miley Cyrus and Miley's not even her name. Because they call her Miley because she was smiley as a baby. And I don't actually know what her actual name is, but it's not Miley. What, in real life? You yeah. Mean? Oh. You're blurring the lines here, Carl. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hate f- these blurred lines. She's she's like a um, 3D shape. Cuboid. <laughs> <laughs> so many names. <laughs> is that her real name? <laughs> Cuboid. <laughs> Cuboid Cyrus. <laughs> it, it always reminds me of that scene in Extras with... Um, the one with Keith Chegwin where they cast him as a character in uh... <laughs> I don't really know <laughs> and he um, he get he's such a bad he's so bad at acting he doesn't understand the concept of playing a character so they have to just call him Keith <laughs> 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 anyway uh, the film isn't very helpful but the main point of the climb is that it's not about the destination it's about the journey which I think in general is a pretty good outlook to have um, additionally though the climb makes it clear that there's always going to be hurdles in life and overcoming them brings its own reward so the key here is to never give up a gold medal exactly if you're mountain climbing for the Olympics is that a thing? <laughs> it was actually last Olympics yeah uh, well climbing walls wasn't it remember mm. Mm, really, they do it really quickly so there you go George <laughs> try climbing at the Olympics um, never give up just keep on climbing and one day You'll be free series in and barely have any listeners like us. <laughs> uh, and that's me. So I think that pretty much wraps that up for George. So yeah, you're welcome, George. It was actually George's friend that needed help. Though, George's friend, yeah. Pass those words on to your friend, George. Or just get him to listen to the pod and then we'll have one more listener. How about that? So if us three listen to that one back, we'll get inspiration for our podcast. Yeah, it'll be Inception for we'll inspire ourselves. (laughs) I never knew I was so inspiring. (laughs) Well, that's about all we have time for today. So why not check out the episode notes or our website, agonyartpodcast.com, to find links to all the media we mentioned today and for a link to the Agony Art Spotify playlist where you can listen to all of the songs. If you have a problem that you'd like us to attempt to solve... You can reach us on our group Instagram and Twitter accounts. That's at Agony Art Podcast or on the submissions page of our website. I would like to thank our resident Agony Arts for their contributions. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Carl. Beep, beep, beep. Rewind the Empire. And thank you, dear listener, for listening. We'll be back next week with more problems to muddle our way through and more entertainment for you to check out. We will see you then. 
Bye. See you, pals. Trotsky. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd suggest keep it light, because their advice can be shite, and they won't be held liable. Oh no, not at all, not here, but Agony R. Agony R. Agony R.